Hello, this is Chris O'Regan, and you're listening to The Sausage Factory. This is episode 260 of The Sausage Factory. Welcome. Happy New Year to you. I say this because this is the last episode of The Sausage Factory before the New Year comes around, so I hope you have a good one. Can't be any worse than 2019. Or maybe it could. What am I saying? Anyway, yes, this episode I talked to Eric Billingsley from Sparse Game Dev about their asymmetric water optimization puzzle game, Spring Falls. You might notice something odd about my voice. Suffering from a cold at the moment, typical holiday festive sort of cold stuff. So yes, apologies for that. But don't worry, this recording was done some time ago, so you won't hear this strange voice for the rest of the show. Sorry about that. But the show must go on, and recordings have to be done. Cane and Rinse, still going, still ploughing. Last game of the series uh, for this year for this volume, volume 8, is uh, Final Fantasy fifteen. That's it for the Final Fantasy games. Until they make Final Fantasy sixteen, which is kind of inevitable. Then we have Sound of Play. That's still happening on Wednesday. Um, and uh, New Year's Day, I guess. Yeah. No. Anyway, yes, and Playwright, two people called Ryan, making up games based on the ideas sent to them by their listeners. And on Fridays, it's me talking about video games made by people, and talking with them about how they made those games in a rather convoluted way. So my, my brain's all sort of like in a strange fuzz because of the the illness. It's horrible. Anyway, enough about me. Gainerinse.com is the website address that you can go to to find out all the archives for all of the shows I just mentioned. Not only that, but there's also blog posts. There's also special blog posts about end of the year collectors um there's also special editions of cane and rinse where we've done a, a year in review we haven't done our top tens we've just sort of noted the games that we kind of liked and uh, people need to know about so yeah that's that we also have the twitch stream now because it's christmas time or holiday time if you like we're doing some specials this time uh last week i did a five hour stint with um Darksiders Genesis, that was hilarious. Not hilarious, entertaining. The game is very good. I wasn't expecting that, but it is way better than I thought it was going to be. And um, all the archives of that are actually on YouTube, so you can go check that out. But um, yeah, and uh, Darren's doing his thing on Sundays, Saturdays, and Sundays, and also there's MK Homebase also doing his thing on Friday evenings. So do pop along to Twitch, that's twitch.tv forward slash Kane and Rinse and you find our channel there and you can follow us that'd be great now Patreon hmm this is where you're chucking some money well the change this year in 2020 inflation has required us to actually up the minimum tier I'm afraid it's now at two US dollars a month still a very very um, generous sort of well bargain if you will the amount of content you get for those two dollars a month 
US dollars, I hasten to add, is still quite something. Uh, but unfortunately, due to ongoing costs and storage of data, we make a lot of stuff now. I'm included in that, and it's we make a lot of shows and lots of content, a lot of content. And that's got to be stored somehow. It doesn't pay for itself. So unfortunately, we've uh, had to put our hand out and say, you need to update them to $2. But you still get Kane and Rince one week early. In fact, sometimes we're actually talking about something even earlier than that. But well, you can find out about, about that in 2020. Then there's also the... Um, Platform specials, the next of which was which is the PSP, which we're recording this week. Very exciting. In a couple of days, actually. Very exciting. Um, so you do get extra content. Also, you get a monthly podcast as well with Jay and Leon talking about stuff. So, enough about that. Let's listen to me, the less ill me, talking to Eric Billingsley of Sparse Game Dev about the rather excellent Spring Falls. Eric! Hello. Who are you and what do you do? <laughs> yeah, so my name is Eric Billingsley. Um, I'm a game developer currently based out of Ottawa, Canada. I just released a game called Spring Falls. Um, yes, yeah. a game that I stumbled upon at the Indie Mini booth. Yes. At the Mega booth at PAX West. Yeah. It was PAX West because I remember I was circling around looking for a... I was going to say the T word, bathroom, and <laughs> I stumbled upon Spring Falls as I was walking by, and I thought, well, I really do need to go, however, <laughs> I'm going to stick around and watch this for a bit, because there was a, it's a popular game, for good reason, and we're going to talk about it in depth in a moment, but it's an awesome puzzle game, everyone, and it is quite beautiful. Oh, thank for, you. For, 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 you know, it's just, it, yeah, it's up there with threes, in my humble opinion, but there it is. <laughs> And everyone knows in this show how much I love threes because I mention it at least once, almost as much as I mentioned <laughs> World of Warcraft. So, if you're using the drinking game, you'd probably be inebriated by now. Because <laughs> <laughs> so I mentioned the two things that I often mention. Uh, in, that's, in this a, show. that's a regular thing on the show. Yeah, unfortunately, yes. I make yeah. common reference to World of Warcraft for, because it's <laughs> such a linchpin game that certain things happen and we end up talking about a certain mechanic or some, some important thing. In a game, and then eventually roads lead to World of Warcraft. <laughs> it's just shocking. And then, yeah. So, anyway. How did you make your start making video games? Okay, so that's kind of a long story. Um, I like those. I like those <laughs> in this show. Go for it. So, I started making games when I was a kid, actually. Uh, so, I used to play a lot of old DOS games, like, you know, the Apogee, Epic Mega Games, and, like, id Software stuff. I must Going confess, kind of I must confess, I'm a British person. You might have noticed my accent. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, I don't, because I'm British, and we didn't yeah. do that. We played on Amigas and Atari STs. Right, yeah. Which I now know Americans go, they were kind of good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. They were, it was way easier to play games on an Amiga. There was no drivers or anything. You just put the disc in, turn the machine on, and off it went. Yeah, it was great. I don't know. Given you know, I know a lot of Americans. They go, we should have, we should have, we should have noticed that. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, do continue. Yeah, so Come on, anyway, uh, DOS games and lovely stuff. Yeah, go. go yeah, go. so I, I've been into video games for a long time, but I actually started when I was a little kid. I would design like board games. Um, oops, sorry about that. That's all right. <clears throat> yeah, so uh, when I was a kid, um, I designed a lot of just like sort of variants on checkers and that kind of thing just for fun. Um, and that's how I started sort of thinking about design and uh, about, uh, you know, rule sets and that kind of thing. Um, I'm sure these games probably weren't very good if I could go back and play them. But that's how I started thinking about that stuff. Um, and then <clears throat> when I was in high school, um, I started getting into video, making video games, and I started with uh, with uh, a software called Click and Play. I don't know if you've heard of yes, that. Yes, it's been mentioned uh, before on the show. But yes, yeah, yeah, so that's but... how I started with games, because you don't need to code, and you're basically just dragging stuff around, and there's a big you know, uh, 
matrix essentially where you, you just set up the rules and then there's all these predefined behaviors of how things work so it, it's really easy to get something happening there plus it comes with all this clip art and like sound effects so i made a ton of games um in click and play which i wish i could still play but they were on an old 3d6 at my grandmother's house and which has been lost uh, <laughs> oh yeah uh, yeah um and then so from there I, yeah, I kept making games in, like, the next generations of that software, which was the Games Factory and Multimedia Fusion. And a lot of these games weren't really for public consumption. I would make games for friends and things like that. I did eventually put some of them online, but, uh, yeah. And so then I started learning how to program in order to make games. Um, Went to university for computer science, and for a few years I, I wasn't really into games anymore. I was you know, just learning about software development and stuff. Uh, and then I took a course on graphics programming because um, my university had just started up like a game uh, development stream. Um, so I took that and I, I got into like generative art and fractals and that kind of thing a lot. Um, and so for that graphics course, I made what would be the beginnings of my first commercial release, which is a game called Star Twine. Um, and yeah, and then after that, I got an uh, an internship at Electronic Arts Montreal. Um, so that was my first like industry job. I was there for eight months, um, which was cool because I got to see how it all works with big teams and all that. Yeah, people um, often <clears throat> cite this as because I, I remember reading about this that uh, this is not uh, EA, but it was at uh, Ubisoft, the other behemoth. Which I yeah. believe is in Canada as well. Yeah. Um, and uh, there was a there's a person who spends an inordinate amount of time making pots for Assassin's Creed. Yeah. And they would make they would that's all they'd do, just pots. <laughs> and then these pots would be destroyed or appear probably for two seconds on a screen if they're lucky. Yeah. But it's it's crazy how specialized that it gets. Yeah. But someone has to do it. But imagine putting that. On your CV, stroke resume, depending on part of the world. What do you do for a living? I make pots. What right, digital pot? pot no, expert. no, digital pots. Right. <laughs> I actually do uh, like um, fractal like mechanics or you know, fracture me- fracture not fractal fracture mechanics of yeah. of of virtual pots. Yeah. Right. And hey. so I was I was at EA Montreal. I worked on uh, Army of Two, the fortieth day. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I didn't really work on the like, game itself. I was mostly working on tools and that kind of thing. Okay. Um, but it was good to, you know, get my feet wet there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, and then graduated. I worked at a local studio here called Snowed In for a few years. Um, <clears throat> what did you work on there, if you, if I may? Or was it anything? Uh, so they mostly did contract stuff. Um, oh, okay. So a lot of uh, different things. I, I worked on... The director's cut of Deus Ex Human Re- Re- uh, Revolution, which was cool. Um, they, they did do like one original IP, which I worked on while I was there, which was a game called Windforge. Um, right. It was sort of like a, a Terraria-esque steampunk uh, sky warship thing. Okay. Uh, RPG. It had a lot of stuff in it. Um, uh, it was it was a cool game, um, and it was fun to work on that. Uh, so after that, I uh, got brought on with uh, Studio MDHR um, on Cuphead, which was really cool. Um, yeah, I mean Cuphead is that's a thing. Yeah, I, it, was, I... it was kind of surreal to work on it because it was such a high profile project. Um, yeah, because it looks like like I know you know this, but everyone needs to talk about this thing. It looked like a genuine 1930s cartoon. It was the the thing that we dreamt about for decades, and finally then someone made a game that actually looks genuinely like a cartoon. Yeah, um, and, and the amount of work that went into those animations, uh, it's, like, unbelievable, yeah. No, it's believable. <laughs> no, no, no. No, we have empathy, and we can yes. relate on this show. We understand that every frame of animation, it's something that crops up a lot. You know, you see these pixel art games. For example, we had uh, Val Faris on. Uh, we've had those guys on that, make, that people made that. And uh, extraordinary pixel art in that game, just like Dead Cells in a way, in many ways. And, um, 
the animation, my friend. I know you understand it and appreciate it. Yeah. It's just phenomenal. I, yeah, I have so much respect for, yeah. for everybody who, who worked on the art side of that game and um, and everyone who worked on it, really. But it was, it was yeah, it was uh, it was good. We were, like, kind of a small team. Um, and they were all fun people. It was, like, because it was such a high-profile project and, like, I was the, the lead programmer for the last year and a bit on that. Um, so there was a lot of, like, pressure. And it was, you know, stressful, too. Um, and Cuphead also is, the game itself is like a very, it's, it's an amazing game, but it's also like super hard and it is stressful to play. So like when I got done on that, I was like, well, what I would do next? Um, let's make a chill puzzle game. Um, let's go in the complete opposite direction. I love that. I mean, (laughs) some, some developers do actually go, you know, we're good at this kind of thing. Ish. <laughs> let's just plow this field for a bit really good but let's go instead you went i've done this really intensely difficult platformer game apart from you know a boss fight platform like mega man on uh only much more difficult i was going to use the stupid light on something but no it's just that's what it is it's really an intense and also a game that ultimately is fair because if you mess up it's entirely your fault yeah, was, definitely. Yeah, which is an art that's now been mastered generally by most developers. It's uh, took a long time. It's got to be said, um, but it was only uh, developers like Treasure who really figured that out years and years and years ago. But um, now people go, "Oh, right, so you've got to be fair." Yes, <laughs> yes, you do. But yes, for you to make that switch over to um, over to to a meditative, yeah, experience. It was, it was also kind of like, this is the type of game I want to play right now, so I'm going to make it. Um, yeah. This is this is where I am in my life. Mm. I, need, I need something like this. Not yeah. that other games like that don't exist, but that's that's what I wanted to do. Yeah. No, that's what caught my eye. It was the yeah. blues and the greens and the <laughs> movement of the water. And also the concept of it. That's the one thing that really drove me to uh to uh reach out to you and we've had this mutual like oh yeah chris i'll be on when the game's finished i said when will that be sometime in 2020 no no it's (laughs) done now hey yeah it's out merry christmas everyone so (laughs) (laughs) yeah this was this was supposed to be like a an eight month project it ended up taking about two years but you know you know how it goes (laughs) yes last last 10 percent is the most difficult yeah and uh, you know we often state this. Then why why do we have to have menus? Why do they have this? Why? Yeah, exactly. Can't they just run it from the? Can't they compile it themselves? No, <laughs> no, they can't. Oh, right. <laughs> Next question: As a creator yeah. of things, which you are now, whether you like it or not, what <laughs> are your biggest influences? Okay, biggest influences. Um... Let me think about that. <laughs> uh, yeah, so <clears throat> from a like design perspective, one thing I, I try to do in all my games is uh, I, I like to focus on games with very sort of minimal rule sets, uh, but that have still like really interesting stuff happening. Um, so games with emergent behavior like Go, uh, those are that's like something that's like what I'm sort of trying to achieve uh, where you have these complex interactions and like you can get really into the game, but it's also easy to understand how it works. Um, so that's what I, that's what I aim for a lot of the time um, on this particular title. Uh, two games I want to mention that, that were an influence uh, was the Hexel series by Matthew Brown. Um, <clears throat> I've been playing a lot of that. So that got me sort of thinking about, tile-based puzzle games. Um, and also, one of my favorite games growing up was Populous 3. Uh, and that has all these like terrain man- manipulation elements to it. Um, so that was sort of an inspiration there. Uh, I mean, yeah. Populous 3, people don't really talk about it, do they? They no, talk not about really. Populous. Oh, yeah. yeah. Sometimes vague, make, make vague reference to Populous 2 occasionally. Yeah. But three, no. 
I guess I'm I'm in an interesting place because that's the only one I really played. Right. So, yeah. No, I, for me, bit of a thing, and yeah. I can definitely see the influence of populism and the rising. Although in in the case of Spring Falls, only falling. But well, yes. Well, no, you can raise it a bit. That's what I'm talking about. You can reset things slightly. <clears throat> yeah. But anyway, yeah. I can definitely see the uh, manipulation of the terrain. Uh, and uh, but for me, yeah, Populist the original was the first ever land game I ever played. Yeah, yeah, all those years ago. Um, but yeah, making big um, what, what was called uh, poor man's volcanoes. So what you do is actually make a massive mountain rather than an actual volcano, and then you basically destroy other people's settlements. As a result, yeah. it was just like yeah. you know, what are you doing? Was all the money I've got? I can just do this. <laughs> but yeah. um while well, the old knights are just burning everything and stamping on stuff grim um but yes. uh yeah um, three there's a it's been a little <laughs> yeah I used, to, I used to play that like online there was like a whole community around it too um it's a lot of fun it yeah. might still exist i'm not sure um i also wanted to bring up uh braid because that was the first game that really like that was when indie games were starting to become more mainstream and that was the game that that made me see like wow this was made by such a small team of people and it's doing all these amazing things that i haven't seen in games and it was successful so that got me thinking about okay maybe i can maybe i can do indie games too mm. it <laughs> yeah. did open up a lot of doors for a lot of people yeah it inspired a lot of people yeah. uh and uh for good generally yeah just generally it, it democratized the creation the medium of video games it said, you know, you don't have to be a publisher and uh, having hundreds of people make pots. No. Yes, you exactly. Actually, you can actually make a game just about pots. Or indeed make a game <laughs> about the making of pots. Don't know why I'm going with this, but you know what yeah. I mean. It's, 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 it's given us the, the chance to play games like Stanley Parable, um, like Gone Home, and indeed like Spring Falls. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a marvellous, marvellous thing. And one of my favourite areas of PAX is still to this day is the Indie Mega Booth. Yeah, it's great. Uh, it's a wonderful experience. And uh, you can always find something just nuts to experience in that, in that, in that place. And, yeah, the, uh, the, like the amount of creativity like concentrated into a small area is very yeah. impressive. It's, yeah. it's beguiling. And I, I just never... Never seen it many enough. I actually count how many games, and on average, I would say I would see about fifty to sixty games every packs. Yeah, and that's pretty good going. And a lot of people, I mean, a lot of the developers that I know, friends that I know, are kind of envious because they know <laughs> that I'm just roaming the halls, just just consuming all of this stuff relentlessly. And they yeah. can't do that because they're you know they're mainly stuck at the booth they do have some time before and after i understand the uh, expo hall opens yeah. and shuts but generally speaking you've got your the, the mercy uh of your of your you know you've got the, you have to go off and you know, any time you can leave your booth is to relieve oneself uh <laughs> and, yeah. in a nearby bathroom again that that trend but well, generally that, speaking, yeah that was sort of the nice thing about doing the the mini booth which i did at both both uh pax east and west this year um, because then you're only showing for two days. Yes. Um, and so you have the other two days to explore, which was yeah. which was great. I booked my ticket for PAX East 2020. I'm good to go. Got great. the flight, got the hotel, just got to sort out the media pass. And that takes a while, my friend. It takes a while. Yes, yes, but, it does. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but that's the last thing on my list. I've got a hotel and a flight. That's what matters. And, um, yes, very much, very much looking forward to that, even though it's end of February. It's going to be cold. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cold. Nevertheless, what developer did most admire in the industry and why? Sorry, what is it? Oh, yeah. So what developer did most admire in the industry and why? What developer did I most admire? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I'm going to say uh, Stephen Lavelle. <laughs> Stephen Lavelle, okay. With, what did he with, do? Uh, because just the the output that he produces is, is like out of this world. He, he makes so many games, 
and like Steven Sausage Roll is one of my favorite games. And so I, I just this comes up a lot. Yeah, <laughs> it comes up a lot. And uh, I need to get him on the show, don't I? If I can, but, uh, I know he's prolific, but wow, I'm sure he can spend an hour just chatting. So yeah, I'm gonna have to do this. his name and this Stephen Sausage Roll is a thing. It's like it's almost as bad as World of Warcraft on this show now, but this time it's guests <laughs> saying it, not me. So. Yeah. <laughs> but that that so, was a really hard question for me to answer. Um, uh, I understand. Yeah. I mean, yeah. if you've got any others, it can be a company. But uh, no, it's, if if you've got any uh, others, you can think. Yeah, of, that's um, just one. I'll also give a shout out to Video Cults who made Rain World. Um, that was one of the best games I played in, in the past few years, and they were at that so long, just like chugging along. Rain with, World, uh, what, what like is two, two to four people for most of it, and it's like yeah, I'm not familiar with. I'm embarrassed to admit. At least I don't think I'm familiar with the title. Um, uh, okay, yeah. So, so Rain World uh, was published by Adult Swim. Um, it, it's a game where. You're this uh, little creature called a slug cat um, living in this expansive sort of uh, dystopian world. Yeah, uh, I'm looking it up on Steam now because I can relate to it. I know what it is. Was it Rain World, is it? Yeah, Rain World. Oh, there you are. He's a little slug cat. Yes. So there's a cat and a slug. Oh, okay. <laughs> and he's, got a, he's sentient. This is getting better. Check yep. him out. Oh, wow. Well, I'm not aware of this game. See, you're the best. I'm finding all, yeah, I know about sausage roll, but this is right up my alley. Look at it. Yeah, it's super cool, um, and it's it's it does a really good job of like it's very it's kind of punishingly difficult, but it does a good job of uh, making you feel like you're just a small part of like a larger ecosystem trying to survive in this world, um, and just like the art is so. Like completely unique from any other game I've played, and it's post-apocalyptic, so something's happened, and yeah, it's it's very cryptic, but right. but there is like lore and stuff that you can discover as you play. Yeah, looks like after we had gone, isn't it? Basically, cool. It's been out for two years. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Okay. Okay, well, I'm gonna leave that on my Steam thing, and uh, yeah, that's very cool. It's a it's a very polarizing game because some people kind of bounce off of it, but I I really really liked it. Mm. And uh, yeah, the the developers of that game are also like very very friendly and chill. And video yeah. cult apparently. Yes, the names of the people. Good choice, sir. Thanks for that. <laughs> Thanks for emptying my wallet. So, <laughs> uh, obviously on commission. So, last question of the first half. Here we go. Okay. Is um, what are you playing right now? Uh, what am I playing right now? I'm playing Celeste, uh, and okay. I have been playing many hours of it in the past right. couple of weeks. Okay, um, trying to unlock everything and get all the B sides, and I've almost finished the uh, like the new content that was added, um, but I'm kind of stuck on some stuff. But yeah, playing playing a lot of Celeste. Uh, what was I playing before that? A lot of Into the Breach. Um, okay. So what what is it about Celeste that grabs you though? Uh that game just feels so good to play. Like the the controls are so tight and uh like the level design is is just it's just really everything just comes together really well. Um the art is amazing, the music's amazing. It's just there's nothing bad about that game. I feel like it's just a very well crafted game. And it just feels amazing to play. Okay. The story is really good too, actually. Hmm. Yeah. What is it on? Is it on PC you're playing this? I'm, just... uh, I'm playing it on Switch, actually. Okay. Because I just got hold of certain new controllers for my Switch. Yeah. Like these Hori controllers. So rather than a little dinky controller, I've actually got proper like Xbox-like controllers, only it's like snapped onto the side of the, the Switch. Try to yeah. imagine that. So, yeah. They recently came out, and a friend of mine sort of pointed at me to them, and, oh, very good. Very good. It yeah, does I've increase been... the bulk of the switch, but no. <laughs> yeah, I've I've been playing with uh, the eight bit do, um, like yes. their new like SNES type controller, but it has 
like the PlayStation like type handles on it. Yeah, comfortable. Because yeah. the D the D pad on the Pro controller is not good. No, but I like to play with a D pad. So okay, fair yeah. enough. Fair enough. Cool. Right. <clears throat> well, that's the end of the first half. Okay. Well done. We're now going to move on to the second half where we delve deep. Or is it climb? I don't know. Into Spring <laughs> Falls. Alright. So Eric, before we can do that, before we can do the diving, we need to know what is Spring Falls? Yeah, so Spring Falls is a puzzle game about water erosion and watching things grow. Um, And so you are manipulating the landscape and spreading water around um, and you're causing vegetation to spread around the water to uh, special tiles where flowers pop up. And so the goal of each level is to Grow all the flowers in the level. Yes. And you're start, so you're sort of like making your way down a mountainside as you go, um, one by one, comp- completing these puzzles. Mm-hmm. Growing flowers. Yeah. Growing flowers. That's it, everyone. That's just the antithesis <laughs> of every destructive game. There is actually a blog out there about non-violent video games, and I'm yeah. going to point it. To, it's the chap called James Bachelor who writes for Develop, and uh, he uh, he wrote a blog about. All listing all the non-violent video games, and I'm saying he needs he needs this to add to his list. It's this and Lonely Mountains Downhill, both very good. I mean, this is mountainous like uh, games that focus on non-violence, just the yeah. experience of joy of nature, either on the back of a mountain bike or actually creating life <laughs> itself. Yeah, I've been meaning to check that out. Actually, it looks really interesting. Yes, from what I've seen of it. Um, so. First question then, and we didn't really delve too much into it. You said it's a puzzle game and you have water, but I want to ask, what determines the volume of water available per level? Um, so... So uh, to explain that to the listener, what we mean by that, because that sounds a bit cryptic. So, if I may, Eric, my interpretation, you may may get it wrong. So each level has a... (laughs) quantity of water this water is contained in a hex cell this cell is presented to the player in an isometric view and the cells can be the cells normally are not at the water itself where the water is but adjacent cells where there is a icon or an icon or they have a sort of a, 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 a a texture that indicates that they can be manipulated and interacted yeah. with yeah and uh, these can be dropped and when they drop, the water then moves from the hex that was contained in and then splashes out into an adjacent hex or 
heaven forfend or forbid, over the side of the cliff. Yeah. So I just want to ask, um, how did you calculate how much of that water? Because, you know, you can retain some water even after the water's gushed over the side. Uh, yes. And, uh, and this is very important technical and tactic that you can use to solve some of the puzzles, not all of them. Yeah, um, that- how did you determine how much volume of water you're, you, you're affording the player at the beginning of each level? How did I decide how much or how am I calculating? Yeah, a bit of both. Uh, yeah, so most of the levels you just start off with, uh, like most of the tiles, they're either mostly full or don't have water in them, just for clarity. Um, there are a few levels where like the volume of water actually matters to the puzzle, um, mm-hmm. and so those ones... I sometimes I had to tweak it a bit to make the puzzle work properly. Um, but the way the water works, there's actually, it's kind of a funny thing about this game. There's a lot more going on under the hood than you would expect in like a sort of abstracted tile based puzzle game because it's actually, there's a pretty elaborate simulation happening like from tile to tile of how the water flows and the volume of water always remains constant unless it flows off the edge or at least very close to being so with some approximations um so yeah the, the every frame water will flow if there's water in a tile and there's open space it will flow out to that tile and uh the water levels sort of equalize over time between the tiles um if they flow over the edge they'll be in sort of a waterfall state for a bit and then materialize in the tile below um and so it has sort of like, it's like a fluid simulation, but very simplified and on a tile by tile basis. Uh, that's figuring all this stuff out. Mm. I just found it fascinating how there are multiple solutions to the puzzles, which I'm very, yeah. it's the best type. And I just love doing a certain thing, which is basically, well, we'll talk about that later because there's, <laughs> there's a, it's related to a question. I don't want to delve dive into it now because the second question is um, related to the water movement. And there is a need for watering tiles adjacent to the flower in order for the flower to grow. Yes. And you also mustn't let water rush away from those tiles. Otherwise, the said flower, after it's grown, will wilt. Yes, it will dry up. It will dry die. up and die. So how have you? how do you think you successfully communicate the, this very key mechanic to the player yeah so one thing i tried to do um some of these things it kind of it takes a while of playing to sort of get a feel for it um and you're not always 100 percent conscious of what the rule is but to, to make it clear one thing i tried to do is always maintain that the tiles you can interact with are always the tiles that vegetation can spread between um so, like, that same visual affordance is used for both of those things. Um, so any tile near water, you can erode that tile. Um, so you're basically, you know, eroding stuff with water. And those are also the tiles that uh, the grass can spread along. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's all, like, a different color, isn't it? It's kind of a yellowy color, isn't it? Yeah. And, and so, like, uh, communicating those, um, those rules was... Uh, like the, the the first few levels of the game got a ton of uh, iteration and workshopping done on them, okay. Um, to try and get the, that across properly, because there's a lot of like sort of finicky stuff with. Um, it only spreads along the same level, right? So if there's a pillar that's higher, it will block it. Okay. And teaching those things was really hard. Like, the, the, uh, for a long time, that was something a lot of players were missing, and they were just confused. Um, so. Yeah, uh, part it's part level design, part visual affordance, and part just a ton of playtesting and um, designing the levels in such a way that you sort of have to learn these rules one by one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, um, I just found it really liberating. That's just one I wanted to focus on it when you realize that, and you animated it so well. You could have done it instantaneously. You. <laughs> you could have done it so it just went boom. And that would have been yeah. not as satisfying as yeah, watching it's be this. Satisfying. You've got to watch this trail of like, oh, ding, 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 ding. And you do, like, oh, wow, look, look what I've done. That was an yeah. accident. I didn't plot that out. Because you can't, unless you're a genius. Yeah, you. and it's, it's, it's hard to strike that balance also between like, 
having the animations too fast that you don't know what's happening and having them too slow that you're bored waiting for them to finish. Um, and that varies from person to person, right? So I, I, I hope I struck a good balance there. Um, but yeah, having the, having the visual feedback and, and like, uh, the animations was really important because it's, this game is very much about, uh, uh, like being able to get lost in it and along with like the sound design and like feeling like, uh, or conveying sort of a, like the beauty of nature and, uh, like appreciating these things. So some of that is, is it feels good, but also it's trying to set a mood and like, uh, an atmosphere. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you got to understand that I'm being very circumspect because I don't want to delve into too much yeah. the levels of complexity that eventually arrive later on in the game. Yes. That was to spoil the fun. Um, yeah. So I'm just trying to speak in abstract. You might be finding it frustrating. Like, Surely Chris has no, played no. more than that. It's like, no, I have, but I just can't talk about it. <laughs> um, do you understand, Eric? Yeah, it's, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, excellent, good. I'm glad you appreciate that. So, which is... A Sort of a precursor to my next question it's the third question which is um, I'm not sure if this is true or not I like to think there is and I try to achieve this this goal as much as I can but is there always a solution where no water is spilled? Uh, no No. <laughs> so, some levels actually it's, there's one very early on that sort of forces you to spill water because um, another thing that, that uh, was uh, sort of a challenge in teaching the players that it's okay to lose water. You 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 don't you only need a little bit sometimes in order to solve the puzzle. Um, so yeah, some of the puzzles you definitely need to spill water. Um, and what but, made you do that? Were you concerned that the as you know you get the uh, optimized player going no 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 I can't spill <laughs> anything, and then you realise that actually no you have to. Were you concerned that uh, you'd uh, not communicated that properly that it's okay to still to spill water uh yeah because mm. um some players would be very sort of reluctant to do anything that would spill it so I, I had to do that in a very early level because if i were to design the the puzzle such that that could all be completed without spilling water like with the rule set that i set up it would have been very limiting um so having having that be part of it like really expands the puzzle space. Um, so I, so I needed to be able to get into that, but, and, and some players, it wouldn't be an issue at all, but, uh, I, I want to encourage people to experiment. And that's what a lot of the game is about. It's almost as if you know, the answer to that you knew what the last question was when you said <laughs> you wanted players to experiment because, and I just want to know how this happened because I've never, I don't see this often in video games. Yeah. Why are there gradients to the undo button? So, in other words, what I'm saying is that rather than you saying, you could have just had, oh, no, you got to start again uh, in the level. But instead, yeah. you can undo turns or actions. Yes. Why did you do that? Um, that actually came in pretty late in uh-huh. development. Um, and, like, there are a lot of games that, puzzle games that, do do that like uh most like sokoban type puzzle games have okay. that kind of mechanic where you can undo um but at first i just had a reset and i was like okay if i add an undo it's gonna make the game too easy um but through player testing um it, it seemed like people would be very close to a solution and then they would reset the whole puzzle and they would forget what they did yes and, and that was frustrating to people yeah. Um, so I figured, you know, I'll, I'll try this out and see how it works. Um, part of the reason it took so long for me to add it in was just because I was, it was kind of uh, difficult to implement. So I was like, okay, I'll put this off to later. Um, but when I put that in, it, it completely changed the feel of the game, um, uh, and it made it feel like you were playing with something a lot more, um, which is actually what I wanted. So, <clears throat> so I'm happy that, that that worked out that way. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, so so the undo was like, I, I was I was worried about it because one one p- potential pitfall with that is like, if you make a mistake early on in the puzzle, and then you do a bunch of stuff and you're fiddling with the undo button, but you never go back to the beginning, you can get stuck that way. 
and I have seen that happen with a few people, but I think it's it's a it's a trade off that's worth it um, for the for the experience of the game. Yep. Yeah, yeah, I just found it really. I would use it to test theories out. Like, all right, I can't quite see where this is going. Well, if I just move that and see what happens. Oh no, no, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and uh, it's just great to just. Uh, it, you're right. It's just a very liberating experience. You don't have to work because you don't want to create a frustrating experience. It's not yeah. the prim- spring exactly, falls yeah. is the last thing <clears throat> about. You just, it, it's no. supposed to be relaxing, and like some of the puzzles do get tricky and can be frustrating. But hopefully, that's offset by you know the visuals and the sound and all that. Um, yeah, and, and uh, yeah, I want it to feel like something you're playing with and experimenting with, and not something that's frustrating you yeah i don't know how else to put yeah yeah it's um no it it was definitely in keeping with the spirit of the rest of the game yeah uh because for you to say well uh, you think you got this puzzle don't you well you have to backtrack all the way to beginning again and try to remember the sequence of events that got you to the bit you were stuck at originally (laughs) yeah it's, it's basically just like removing most of the consequence for failure yeah and that opens the game up to more experimentation and it does and it does a great job of that right well there you go it's just uh, fleshed out spring falls rather wonderfully i think yeah uh spring falls is by sparse yes sparse yes, game uh, sparse game dev is yeah that's the company name yeah well, why have you called why have you gone for that uh so I came up with that name quite a while ago. Okay. I kind of like the idea of like sparse complexity where you have periods of the game or sections of the game that are more simple and then um, parts where it's more complex or like visually I like that kind of look where it's hard to explain. <laughs> I don't know. No, I don't no, know no. Less is more. That's what, less is more. <clears throat> is that basically what you, you just like the um... – the the concept of um, minimalism. Yeah, so it, and, it's, and it's about that as well. Um, yeah. yeah, so yeah, the, bring, bringing back to what I said earlier about um, you know emergent behavior and simple rules that you can easily familiarize familiarize yourself with. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, um, and okay. I also want to mention that it's not just me that made this game. No. Um, yeah. So uh, so I did the. Um, like all the design, the programming, the art, the sound, and I did like so, some of the music. Um, but I had some collaborators on the music. So uh, my good friend uh, Derek Harrison, he uh, contributed to, or he wrote he wrote one of the songs, and he also contributed some like mandolin and accordion to another one. Um, my wife Maria Pranchke, she sings in the in one of the songs. Um, I don't know if I should spoil that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah. So, just want to credit no, everyone no. who worked on the game. No, I appreciate that. It's wonderful. And uh, Victoria Embry, who did PR also, and and came out to PAX and Indicate and showed it off. Yeah. Yes. And uh, I'm happy to share the joy that is Spring Falls, which is out now on Windows, PC, Mac, and Linux, yep. and on iOS. Yep, on the App Store. Yeah. Um, aiming for early 2020 on Android also. Yes, I made a note of that. That's <laughs> the press release. Um, and uh, no, it's really, again, well done and thank you, you and the rest of your, your team there, uh, for making Spring Falls. It's a wonderful game and uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful addition to the, uh, the puzzle fraternity. Uh, of which there are many wonderful games. Like I said, I I put it up there with the likes of Threes and uh, Monument Valley. It's great. Well, stuff. thank you, and that's very flattering. <laughs> yeah, and I do genuinely mean that. Um, Two my favourite games, and to it's just uh, yeah. It, after a, a game of something or some or a stressful day, um, to to just chill out and just, everything will be okay, kind of. Thing. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly. It's, it's lovely. So that's exactly um, what I was going. For. And you did. You managed to achieve it, I think, anyway. Eric, it's been wonderful having you on. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been great talking to you. And yeah. thanks for having me, me on the podcast. And more than welcome to come back uh, to uh, share whatever game you've come. Probably a 
massive FPS like, <laughs> PUBG clone. I don't know. Um, no one makes those anymore, do they? Um, <laughs> I don't know. I'll just whatever you make, whatever it turns yeah, out to be, whatever whatever it ends up being, yeah. whatever it ends up being, I'd be happy to come back on. Yeah. yeah, and talk about it because we've had return guests, uh, many return guests. In fact, I'm just about to book a return guest who's going to come on for the third time. <laughs> so uh, that's that's a prelude for for, for probably next year because. Uh, that's the thing, but yeah, she she's she's put her hand up and said, "We've done another thing." Like, oh, <laughs> okay. Anyway, again, great. Eric, thank you very much, and uh, yeah, see you soon. Thank you. Have a great day. Put it to his nose.